Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And while you're finding that, one last reminder. We've been announcing for the last several weeks about something uh, that we're calling dinner groups. And uh, appreciate those of you that have signed up. If you've signed up, uh, you'll be getting notified in just a few weeks about who your group is. And uh, we'll be encouraging you to start getting together. But if you're new with us, maybe you uh, haven't signed up yet. Dinner groups are basically something that we're doing uh, to put four different families, perhaps it could be even four different people, uh, basically four different units. Let's, let's call it units. It could be, uh, you know, a family uh, with two kids along with someone that's single, maybe along with a widower. Uh, it could, you know, be a variety of scenarios, but four different units of people and over a four-month period, we're asking you to get together one time a month, those four people, those four groups. And uh, you would be responsible, since there's four of you, you would be responsible for planning one month, one day out of one month, that you could all get together, do something fun, have a picnic, go out to eat, whatever it is that you decide to do, you're just responsible for planning it one time. It'll be one time a month for four months, and we believe it'd just be a great way for us to get to know people. We are family. We're the family of God. I often have people tell me, you know, I sit on this side over here, and I don't know any of these people over here, and I'm like, well, common sense would tell me that if that is the case, why don't you move over to that side for a while and meet those people over there? Because they're awesome people, just like there are people over here are awesome people. And maybe you would want to move front to back, back to front. I don't know. It just makes sense to me. But uh, since you won't do that, we're doing dinner groups. And so we'd love to have you participate in that. We think it'd be great fun and great fellowship together. Also, I uh, want to uh, encourage you, uh, we're going to be beginning a new uh, class on Sunday mornings in the 9.30 to 10.30 hour. Uh, we offered it a while back. It's a six-week class on how to study the Bible, get more in depth, how some tools that you can use to help you learn, uh, to pique uh, your interest. Many people tell me, you know, I just want to I want to get more from the Bible. I believe that if I could get more from it, then I would be more committed to it. We have a class that I believe will help you do that. It's just six weeks. And so if you'd be interested in something like that, my wife, who I believe, it, well, I don't believe, I know, is the greatest Bible study person uh, that I personally know uh, is going to be teaching that. She does a phenomenal job. So if you'd be interested in that, 20 slots available. We have to limit it. Uh, if you don't get in on the, this 20, uh, then we'll be offering this until there's no longer an interest in it. And so the sign-up is out there at the Connection Center uh, by the donuts and the coffee pots. So you can kill three birds with one stone right there. Uh, sign up for that class. I know that it will be a blessing to you. Well, we're continuing this series this morning that seems like we've been in for a year. I don't even know. Uh, the, a study out of the book of First Corinthians, um, and it's a series we're calling The Cure, because what we're seeing here in this series as we're going through this letter to the church at Corinth is that Paul is dealing with, and he's addressing uh, a lot of 
uh, issues that we face today in the church and that we're facing uh, in our culture today uh, as well. And what Paul's been teaching us is that the cure for these problems, the cure for what's going on uh, in our culture today is the need for a focus on Jesus, the need for a focus on the good news of Jesus Christ and that He came and He died on a cross for our sins and three days later He rose from the dead. And this is the cure, this is the message that you and I have to take to a sin-sick world. And Paul is going, you know, you got all these issues going on in the city around you. And, and, and some of this junk has been coming into the church. And, and, and you know, we, we need to remind ourselves of what the focus is. That if we'll lead people to Jesus, and if they'll just come to Jesus and be in a right relationship with Him, all this other stuff is going to take care of itself. And so he's reminding us throughout this letter of what is the most significant thing that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, and that's Jesus Christ, right? And so he continues this theme here in chapter 11 uh, this morning, and I'll be perfectly honest with you today, in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at, I've got more questions than I do answers, right? Uh, is that okay with you that your pastor doesn't have all the answers? Uh, some of you know that, some of you that know me well. Uh, know that I'm not the greatest Bible scholar in my family. Matter of fact, you put all my family up here on this platform together, I would probably be last in that line of Bible scholars. My wife, both of my sons are just, they blow my mind. They probably forgot more about the Bible than I'll ever know, to be honest with you. And so is it okay that your pastor doesn't have all the answers? If not, fire me now, because that would be a great relief to me. I wouldn't have to continue with this uh, message this morning. <laughs> Some of you, <laughs> this series, I, I'll be honest with you, this series has been more than I bargained for when we began, all right? Uh, you know, Paul is addressing some difficult things, not only for us to talk about, but to understand, and today is, is no exception to that. As a matter of fact, studying this was not really how I wanted to uh, spend spring break. My wife had a lot of other plans for me on spring break, believe me. She tried to kill me this week. I think she's seen the life insurance policy, and so she's tried to kill me. But, uh, uh, boy, preparing to talk to you about the roles of men and women was hard, all right? Uh, this passage is probably one of the more confusing uh, and more um, misinterpreted uh, passages that we have in the New Testament. And so a lot of people just ignore it. I'm going to say you probably hadn't heard a lot of sermons uh, preached from this passage, but I believe that it's important uh, that we don't ignore it because I believe it's a very timely passage for the culture that you and I are living in right now. Uh, and so, everybody take a deep breath, promise that you're not going to walk out on me, everybody just relax, this is fun, this is good, remind yourself of that before we begin. I want to thank Bill Nelson for <laughs> being willing to read this passage of scripture this morning that we're going to be looking at. Uh, and so I'm not going to read it all again, but keep your Bible open because we are going to be referencing uh, 
some of the main points and highlights of this very complicated passage. But what could possibly be confusing about these first 16 verses that Bill read for us in our worship earlier? Well, there's a number of challenging topics here. Is this passage of Scripture about head coverings? Should women be wearing a veil in church? Now, Bill asked me back here uh, behind the, the screens before church, he said, you know, is there, is there something I should be wearing on my head? And there, you know, And I'm like, no, that would be inappropriate for you to wear something on your head, but Lindsay should have something on her head. And she's like, well, if that's the case, can we get them color, co- color coordinated with my outfit? How does all that work? Um, but there's a number of questions here. Is it about head covering? Should women be wearing veils? Uh, or is this actually a passage of Scripture about hair? Uh, should women have long hair? Should they not have short hair? Should, women, should men have long hair? You know, is this a, a discussion about hair length? Or is it simply about Who's the boss? Who ought to wear the pants in the family and who ought to wear the skirt, right? Or is this about about gender issues or gender roles? You see what I mean when I say I've got more questions than answers about this today, right? Um, But let's tackle it. And let's address, I guess, the first question that I think that this passage might bring up is what's the deal with head coverings and hair, and how does that apply to us today? Because Paul says in verse 4 and 5 there, he says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now, in those days, all right, Remember, it is always important when we're reading and studying Scripture to know the context of what's taking place. Paul is writing this letter to a specific church, and he is addressing some specific problems and issues that have been going on in that church. All right, so you need to understand when you're reading some of Paul's letters that he's addressing specifically things that are going on in that church or in that city. Okay, that's exactly what's taking place here. And in those days, covering your head, having your head covered, was a feminine sign of modesty. All right, to not wear a, for a woman not to wear a head covering in their culture, and in that day, was a sign of immodesty, sexual immodesty, okay? But that was then, in their culture, and this is now. And so what does this still mean for us? Because it's in His Word, so there's a message in it, not only to the church in Corinth, but there's also a message in it, for every follower of Christ that would follow them up until to even today. So what does it mean for us? Well, let's look at another example in Paul's 
letter that comes a little later that I think might help us understand this just a little bit better. A few chapters uh, later in chapter 16, we see Paul say this, greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay? Now, in those days, for a follower of Christ or someone in the church to greet someone in their culture, a common way to do that would be to embrace them and kiss them on each cheek, okay? Some cultures still do that today. Thank God we don't. <laughs> right? Y'all know I'm a germaphobe. I will knock you out if you start coming up to me and trying to kiss me on the cheek, just so you know, all right? So, you know, you could take this verse literally and insist on kissing everybody that you meet, which I'm telling you is going to freak everybody out. And people are going to avoid you at all costs, and it will get you fired as a greeter at the front door of this church. <laughs> right? Particularly during COVID and flu season. All right? And, and so you might look at this verse and, and say, well, you know what? This just doesn't apply to us. This doesn't apply to me because we don't do that anymore. And yes, while culturally that is true, the principle behind it is still true. So what's the point? What's the principle behind this? Well, it's this. Greet one another. Greet your church family. Greet your other followers of Christ with warmth and with tenderness. Be cordial. You people over here, get to know these people over here. <laughs> Greet one another. And so the right thing to do is to figure out what is the culturally, that's a big word for me, culturally accepted way of doing that, right? And for us, in our culture, that would be a warm handshake until COVID, right? And, and then it became a, a COVID-approved, uh, Department of Health-approved fist bump uh, at that point, which I prefer, okay? I'm all about that. Less germs passing. But as Christians, the, the principle is to greet one another warmly, and so we are to do that in culturally acceptable uh, expressions, all right? The same is true with this principle of head coverings and long hair, all right? In our culture today, what's the message? How does this principle apply to us? Well, Bill Nelson agreed to come back and explain this. Where'd he go? Oh, he's still there. He, he, his hair's short, so it's safe. Um, no. Um, but, the, you know, the principle here is simply this, and it's not complicated. The point is men and women shouldn't try to look like each other. Read it yourself. See if that's not what it says. It's really not that hard. Men and women shouldn't try to look like each other. I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. <laughs> Friends, the point of this is not long hair, short hair, okay? 
not the point. The point is that every culture has things that distinguishes men from women. And that we as Christians ought to observe that <laughs> and follow that. In, in Corinth, and we talked about the kind of city that Corinth was, and it was a kind of a crazy, wild party place. In Corinth, men did not have long hair unless they were cross-dressers and trying to look like women. Women didn't have short hair unless they were trying to look like a man. And so Paul simply says, don't do that. Don't do that. Men should not wear skirts. Unless, of course, you live in Scotland, right, where it's culturally common there. Paul's basically saying here, God made you a man, so dress like a man. And God made you a woman, so wear makeup. <laughs> Please. Huh? <laughs> now the women are getting up and walking out. Hey, Brother Sanders, the greatest preacher that ever walked on the face of this earth, once said, some of y'all know, even an old barn needs a new coat of paint sometimes. <laughs> So, yeah, Paul's point is this, y'all, that it's dishonoring to God to do things that confuses that picture. Dishonoring to God to do things that confuse others of your biological gender. That's what he's saying here in verse 14, where he says, Does not the very nature of these things teach you this? Right? The very nature of how God created us should teach us that, Oh, by the way, men were created drastically different than women were created. Right? It's not that hard. But in our culture today, and this is nothing new because... Hey, this was going on in Corinth. In our culture today, this topic of gender is a big deal. It's extremely sensitive. There are a lot of different opinions and stereotypes surrounding this subject and the culture that you and I live in today. But I love how the, uh, the Bible recap kind of summarizes this. Uh, Lynette shared in the class that she's teaching on how to study the Bible about the, the Bible recap. But uh, in the book uh, that was written by Terry Lee Coble, I love how she explained this here in uh, chapter 11. And I'll just read it to you. She says it a whole lot better than I could. She said, Paul addresses some touchy subjects in chapter 11. He compares marriage to our relationship with God and with the church. He unpacks the authority structure in marriage, which is a lot like the authority structure of the Trinity. Anything without a head is dead. Glory, in this passage of Scripture that you see, glory means to give the right opinion of something. That's to give something glory. It's to give the right opinion of something. 
And Paul says, this is what's happening with men as the head. Women are made in the image of God, giving them equal value to men. But value and roles are different things. He isn't discrediting or diminishing women. Men and women are mutually dependent. On one another. And I love that. I love the way she described that because she's spot on. But you know what? Here, here's the deal. Like I said, this is a touchy subject in some churches. This is uh, something that I believe uh, gets uh, misinterpreted and, and complicated in a way that it shouldn't be. You and I know for a fact, some of you know people that attend churches like this today where men are the only ones allowed to do anything in the church. The only ones allowed to teach. The only ones allowed to be in any kind of leadership position. I mean, men are running everything and doing everything. Now, they will tell you that women are created equal. They'll tell you that. We're created equal. But their role in the church is minimized to making the coffee, planting the potlucks, and cleaning the kitchen. All right? Now, there's a reason that all of you are here and you're not at that church. I get that. But there are churches that are way, and you know that to be true in our community. All right? But on the other side of that coin, we live in a culture today and in a society today that says all gender distinctions should be neutral and up to the person to choose what they want it to be for them. That's the world we live in today, right? We know that. You know that. You can biologically be a man, but you can identify as a woman. And not only that, can you identify as a woman if you're a man or a man, if you're a woman, in the culture that we live in today, if you'd want to identify as a goat, in some places we have to refer to you as a goat. And friends, there are places where they're trying to get this passed and pushed through to happen in the school. To where if a kid comes in and says, I'm a goat, the teacher has to address him. Bah! You know, I, I don't even know what you do with that. God's going to have to apologize to Corinth for what's going on right here. Huh? If you insist on biological gender identity in our culture today, seriously, you could lose your job in the corporation that you work for. It's that big a deal. That's for real. Some of you might be naive to that. Go, oh, no way. Oh, yes way. Some of you work at some corporations where you know you have to identify yourself in your communications with other people of how you want to be identified. And you may find this hard to believe, but this topic was as contentious and as big of a problem at the time that Paul was writing this as it is today. 
Because on one hand, you had these Jews who were super conservative, right? They had taken the Ten Commandments, and some of them had, had written out, you know, made all these laws and all these rules. There were over 600 that you had to follow, and they were all about following the rules to a T, and they were super conservative. And then you have Corinth, which we've learned is one of the most sexually confused cities of not only that time, but probably any time. Sexual immorality was rampant. It was worship. There were literally temples where people gathered to worship their gods by having sex. Historians tell us that there was a large gay and lesbian community in the city of Corinth, and cross-dressing was common there for both genders. And so this is the context that Paul is writing this passage of Scripture. It's to correct both ways of thinking. So, what does it mean for the man to be the head of the woman? And everybody just perked up. <laughs> I've got your full attention, and the women are sitting. They've got, some of you have grabbed your purse, and you're ready to roll. <laughs> if I don't answer this question correctly. Well, let me start by giving you first the Greek definition of this word head that's used in the Bible. All right, the Greek word that is interpreted to head in the English language. That word, and I probably don't pronounce this right, is kephale, K-E-P-H-A-L-E. And that word, kephale, is used in the Greek two different ways in Scripture. In some places, in one context, it's used, uh, and the definition can mean authority. All right? The head means authority like the head of an organization, all right? In other places in Scripture, it's used in the context of the definition of head can mean the source of something, like the headwaters of a stream or the headwaters of a river. That's the source, that's the beginning, that's where it comes from, right? And in this passage, Paul appears to mean both of these things, that one implies the other. Back in Genesis, Eve was created. I think we all can agree on this. We may not agree on everything, but I think we can agree on this, that Eve was created out of man. If we believe the Scripture, then we believe the creation story, that Eve was created out of the side of man, which means that he is her source. All right? I believe we can all agree on that. And while they were created to complement one another, both made in the image of God, the woman was created for man and called his helper, not vice versa. All right? Now, Paul speaks to the man being the head. As Christ is the head of the church, he speaks about it here, and he speaks about it again over in Ephesians chapter 5. Men and women 
are created, friends, with different roles. Both are made in the image of God. Both are equal at the foot of the cross. We have different roles. We were created differently in the best way possible to carry out and fulfill those roles. That's what Paul's talking about here. Both men and women, in the way that they're created and the way that they have been assigned these roles, reveal God's glory in different ways, but yet they are equal. And if you look at either gender, one way or the other, and you look down on them for whatever reason, that's not of God. That's not His design. That's not His plan. And you're wrong about that. We're created in His image. Men and women alike, equal. Equal at the foot of the cross. And by Paul saying that the woman is the glory of the man in verse 7 does not mean that he is belittling the female or making her less equal than the man. She was created to complement man and in many ways so much better. All the women should have said amen right there because you know it's true. You know you're better at everything, right? But I can think of some things you can't do. But I won't go there. Let's look at it another way. Go back to verse 3. Paul says, But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. So here's what he's saying here. God is the head of of Christ. God here meaning Father. And God exists eternally how? As the Trinity. Right? That's what we believe in the Church of the Nazarene anyway. We believe that God is three distinct persons in one. You have God the Father, you have God the Son, and you have God, the Holy Spirit, but there's only one God. They're all one. Now, they each have different roles, but yet they're all equal. Now, Jesus, the Son, I believe we would all agree, is not any less God than God the Father is or God the Holy Spirit. He would be equal to the Father, but his role his role that he was asked to fulfill and to live out when he came to this earth was that he would be under the authority of his father in this role as Jesus, God the Son. And he submitted to the Father. And you see it when he said things like, not my will, but yours be done. And though he was equal with the Father, he still looked at the Father as the head. And so if that wasn't an assault on Jesus' dignity, then it's not in this case either, okay? It's not an insult on women's dignity. 
if it didn't insult Jesus. So here's the deal. Submission, I want you to hear me. Submission is a Christ-like quality that all of us have been asked to follow and to do. All of us are to be submissive, right? Uh, and, and so uh, it doesn't, submission is a Christ-like quality that all of us have been asked to have, and it doesn't imply any inequality by any means. Let me give you another example. Some of you look confused. It's cl- this is clear as mud, I know. Uh, if you want to get up here, come up here and give it a shot, have at it, all right? <clears throat> When I got done with first service, I was like, I, I, I don't even know that I'm right. Uh, you know, I was so confused, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Think about it like this. We have several policemen in our church. I don't know if you know that or not, but if you think about doing bad, just jump up and do it. Somebody's going to take care of you. <laughs> we got a lot of policemen in our church, and I appreciate everything that they do. I believe with all my heart that's a calling, just like being a pastor is a calling. And I respect and I appreciate our officers um, a lot. And, but anyway, we, so we have some policemen that are here today. And when we're in here, based on the Bible, based on scriptural authority, it, within the context of the church and this congregation, I am the leader. Okay? I'm the head of this body, and so I have spiritual authority when it comes to things in the church. But when I pull out there on Highway 65 after church, when we get out of here, these police officers that we have in our church, they become my authority, right? Because they have flashing blue lights a badge, and a gun. Out there, they have headship and authority. But in here, it's a different role. We have different roles in different places in different times. In both situations, though, equal at the foot of the cross. Equals. And even though the man is biblically assigned to be the leader of the family, and oh, by the way, that is an extremely important role. And when that role is not being filled and that role is not being lived out, there's going to be a problem in that family dynamic. Because men were created to be the leader of the family. But you also have another role if you'll get in God's Word and look for it, men are also told to lay down their life for their wife. To lay down their life for their spouse. To love her the way that Christ showed the church that He loved us. That's the man's role in the context of marriage. And I would argue that men may have the hardest role in the marriage relationship as it pertains to this. And I also believe that men will be held more accountable because of this role than women are of their family. And the spiritual condition of their family. 
This means that me as the husband should get up every single day and think, how can I lay down my life for Lynette today, who's my wife, for those of you that didn't know? How can I lay down my life for her? How do I put her first instead of myself? And if I'm obeying this command, and I'm obeying, I'm taking this role. See, we're real, point, we're real quick to want to point out the roles of everybody else. We want to point out the role of the women. We want to point out everybody's role but our own. But friends, the role of the man is to be the leader, to lay down our life for our family and our spouse, and consider every single day, how do we put them first where do i need to sacrifice in my life so that she can thrive and if i'm obeying this command it means that i'm going to put her needs and i'm going to put her interest above my own every single day and yes no doubt about it i am given some authority to lead I'm given a role to be the leader. Which means, men, it's on you if your family is in church or not. It's not your wife's decision, and it ain't your kid's decision. It's your role. Live up to your role. Instead of pointing out everybody else's role. So if we're obeying this command, we're given some authority to lead, but it's not authority that because I'm the leader, I'm always going to get my way. And I'm always going to get what I want, and you better just do what I say. Friends, the authority that we have as men is to help her to grow and to flourish and to help our family to grow, and to flourish. It ain't mama's job. And guys, if you're not regularly asking your wife, how can I serve you? How can I help you today? Instead of expecting to be served and expecting to be helped today, you women ought to be saying amen. You thought when we started you were going to leave here mad today, right? Huh? Come on, ladies. You men ought to be getting up every day saying, Honey, how can I serve you? How can I help you today? Not, not, here's what I expect you to do for me today, but how, what can I do for you today? Because if you're not doing that, you're not fulfilling your role as the man and your role in the marriage. And you can, if you're not fulfilling your role in marriage, can I just tell you something? You have no reason to believe that she respects you as the man of the house. One time, man, I, I can tell this story because these people don't go here, uh, go to church here uh, anymore. They used to. Um, they don't anymore. Lanana, some of you remember Lanana used to do a marriage class. Um, and this man uh, said in this class one time, he spoke up and he said, um, and y'all can picture the attitude behind this. 
But he spoke up and said, I demand respect in my house. And I could just see Lynette, Lynette just going. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, Nellie. You know, I'm trying to hold her back. She's a cute, soft-looking thing, but she'll eat you alive. <laughs> and I was like, this old boy right here is to ask for it. She didn't say anything, but after he left, I mean, he hadn't even shut the door good. And she said, that right there is why he gets no respect in his house. She says, you don't demand respect, you earn it. <laughs> Men, the word of the Lord, huh? Thanks be to God. It's the truth, is, is it not? Is it not the truth? I want to be clear on this. This is not saying either that women don't have any roles in the church or any leadership roles in the church. Paul acknowledges here in verse 5, if you look at it, where he says, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So it's clear here, he points out that women had roles in the church. They were praying and they were prophesying. And that was not the issue right here, all right? Now, some other church, <laughs> evidently it was an issue. There was, there was some issues going on with some women in, in some church, but not here. This is not the issue that he's addressing here. He said there are some women in the church who are praying. There are some women in the church who are prophesying. So it tells us that women did have a role in the church. And friends, some of you know this, and some of you don't, and you don't get it. We need women to have roles in the church. Because they've been gifted. They have gifts, and they have graces that God uses on a regular basis to make a difference in the lives of people when it comes to spiritual things. I don't know about you, but I can think back even on my life, the people who had the greatest impact on my life spiritually, women. Top of that list being Lynette. They have a role. They definitely have a role to play in the church. There's no denying that. But here's the bottom line, I guess, to this entire passage, and I guess I should have gone here first and we could have just been dismissed. But here's... Here's the deal. Paul's saying this. Number one, men and women are different. Let's keep it that way. Number two, men and women are of equal value. Keep it that way. And if, they, if the way that you try to make a distinction between the two actually degrades the other gender? That's a problem. That's a problem. And if the way that you're trying to create equality between the two erases any distinction between the two, then that's a problem. <laughs> it's really not that hard. 
Friends, as followers of Christ, we must embrace the fact that God's Word is true. We must embrace the fact that God created all of this, all of us, in the best way possible to fulfill the roles that He assigned to us on this earth. We need to know that and understand that not only is His Word true and we weren't created by accident or, oops, he messed up on this one a little bit. No, we're all created in his image. God's word is true. God's word is good. Our biblical view today is not popular in the world that we live in. It wasn't popular back at this time Paul's addressing this. And it's sure not popular in the world that we're living in today. But God's design is the best design for men and women. And some in our world might say that we're on the wrong side of history on this. And I get it. But you know what? I've made up my mind that it's more important to be on the right side of the Bible than it is to be on the right side of our culture that's constantly changing. <laughs> the wise man builds his house upon the rock. The rock of God's word. Not the shifting sands of cultural opinion and their approval. So you go ahead if you want to. And you be on the right side of history. I'm going to stay on the right side of Jesus. Amen. The cure for the gender wars that are going on in our world today, the cure for that is the natural design that God intended for His creation. And when we compromise that, and we begin to blur that, and we begin to try to change that ourselves, then we compromise the cure. We compromise Him. We compromise what He has done. And so today, church, my prayer is that... I, I, I feel like we're probably all pretty much on the same page with this. But our job, our task, our role has to, been go, to go out into this world instead of allowing them to infiltrate us and change the way we think and change the truth that we know. We're being sent to infiltrate them, to change their truth, to change what they think they know, because we know that it's not right. And it's going to destroy their lives, destroy their families. And not only that, every person that you encounter tomorrow, I say it time and time again, every single person that you cross paths with tomorrow may be a man dressed like a woman, may be a woman dressed like a man, may have purple hair, green hair. I don't know. Every single one that you encounter is a creation of God. They have a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. Will you care? Will you give a rip? 
because they're going to be different. They're going to think different, and they're going to do bad stuff until they come to know Jesus. And then, just like he's doing with you, he's going to start shaping them and molding them and making them into the image that he wants them to be. And that's his image. None of us are perfect. I hate to tell you, you ain't there yet either. You may not have purple hair. You may not be cross-dressing. But just like your pastor, you got some issues. <laughs> so who are we to judge? My prayer is that we go out and we love them the way that Jesus loved us. That's what's important. That's the cure. Let me pray for you before we go this morning. Dear God, I thank you so much again for this reminder of your love. It's just a simple reminder of the fact that uh, you didn't create anything or anybody by mistake. And that for those who love you, you work all things together for good. I thank you for this reminder today that not only are men and women equal at the foot of the cross, God, Americans and Russians are equal at the foot of the cross. We tend to want to make distinctions between bad and good and lump everybody in the same basket sometimes. Every human being was created in your image. Every human being has a soul that's going to spend an eternity somewhere. God, my prayer is that we would care. My prayer is that we would love. And we would reach out to those people that don't know you with the cure that we've been entrusted with. You said, here it is. You take this and you share it. There are people around us dying every day in their sin. We have the cure that would give them life. God, put us in situations to where we'll be faithful with that and we'll be obedient to that, most of all. But God, start that work in me. Start that work in my heart. I know as a leader in this church that this all begins here. And so, God, make me more like you in every way, every day. Help me to love. Help me to serve. Help us all to represent you in a way that people would be drawn to you and come to know you. And it's in that powerful name that we sang about earlier, the name of Jesus. <laughs> what a beautiful name. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.